from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please join me in our call to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Praise the Lord.
friends, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now let us join together in the unison prayer of confession, followed by a time of silent confession. Let us pray. Merciful God, in great love you have claimed us as your children. We confess that we have not loved you as we should. We have not participated fully in your purposes and plans. We grow weary and give up when the way is hard. We have not loved our brothers and sisters as you intend. Complacent in the presence of injustice and violence, we fail to recognize our own complicity. Forgive us, especially when we fail to protect children so vulnerable and precious in your sight. Forgive our misuse of power against people and against your creation. Help us to praise you by living in harmony and peace. Do not be ashamed of us, we pray, but strengthen us in our time of testing. Set us free from fear that we may wholly trust in you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who shared our flesh and blood. Amen. Children of God, it is clear that Jesus Christ came to help sinners. He is our Savior in all our distress, and it is His presence that saves us. Declare with me the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. extend a warm welcome to the children who are with us this morning. Um, there is no godly play today, but there is nursery available for children, kindergarten, and younger. We are so glad to have children in worship with us. You make us better, and we're really glad that you're here. And now our Old Testament lesson today comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 63, verses 7 through 9. Hear now the word of God for you who are the children of God. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who, who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. 
he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, this text feels like it's taken a turn from the merriment and the celebrations of this past week. Here at First Presbyterian, we had four services with choirs, orchestras, communion, and seemingly endless laughter, smiles, and cheer. The warmth of the holiday was palpable. It was the culmination of an entire month of preparation, waiting for God to come into our world because we so desperately need that presence and comfort. And at my parents' home, we listened to our favorite Christmas music, watched movies, played games. And then today, we get to this passage, the next part of the Christmas story, where we find the Holy Family fleeing to protect the life of their new baby. It's as though we've departed the peace and joy of Christmas Eve to enter into the fear and rage of the next days, months, years. The shift feels abrupt. It feels painful. It feels unwelcome. And how did we even get here? The last song we sang in our Christmas Eve services was Silent Night. 
We know the opening lines of that song, silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. And as the lights lowered and the candlelight filled this sanctuary in the chapel, it truly did seem that all was calm and all was bright. God had come into the world to be with us. And what could be better than that? As we read in Matthew 2, the wise men understand the significance of that event. And they come from abroad to see the king of the Jews. Herod then gets them to share the details of their venture and tells them to return to him after they found Jesus because he too wants to pay homage, but really he just wants to eliminate the threat. Herod, after all, is a tyrant who has made himself king in Jerusalem and is desperate to maintain his position. After visiting the child and presenting their gifts, we read that the three wise men, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, left for their own country by another road. Dreams have been a critical method of communication in Matthew's account of the Incarnation. God speaks to Joseph in a dream to encourage him to stay with Mary. The wise men are warned in a dream to return home without seeing Herod. And again, Joseph is told when to flee and then when to return, both in dreams. There's a powerful sense of faith apparent in how Joseph and the wise men trust their dreams. In this narrative, dreams are how God is communicating with the people. They understand what God wants for them and how to live when they hear it in a dream. And while dreams are so important in Matthew's text, the Isaiah text from this morning approaches our human interactions with God a little differently. In verse 9, we read that it was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In a section of Isaiah that speaks to the ongoing troubles of Israel in being faithful followers of God, this verse reminds us that it is only God's presence in our lives that will save us. Because what are words if there's no presence with them? The hopeful message of Christmas would be meaningless if it wasn't accompanied by the birth of Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It was no messenger or angel, but God's presence that saved us. God's presence was manifested in the dreams of the wise men and Joseph. We see how God has always stayed with the people of God, and now, in the person of Jesus Christ, enters into our world in a new way. By becoming the Christ child, God is joining with us in a way that allows us to know God's presence in an entirely new manner. God has never left creation, and in this season of Christmas, we get reminded how God enters into creation with us. The message of the story of the people of God is one of presence and compassion. And this long story continually reiterates how God's actions initiate human actions. Nothing we do happens without God's action first. God came into our world in Jesus Christ so that we might learn how to be with and for one another in our world. 
God entered our world so that God's love for creation might also enter our hearts. God came to be human with us so that we could learn what it means to be faithful. God didn't come so that we could stand here and say, look at that sweet baby. God didn't come to sit idly by and be raised in complacency and fickle attitudes. King Herod had a good reason to be afraid of this baby. Jesus came to challenge Herod's understanding of authority. Herod likes his position as king and doesn't appreciate that someone is now being called the king of the Jews. And this fear of a challenger leads Herod to do awful, awful things. And it's exactly what continues to revolve around the person of Jesus throughout his life. In his being, in his presence, Jesus is challenging the societal, cultural status quo of the empire. For the people in power, it's certainly not welcome. We hear stories throughout the Gospels of Jesus speaking against the ways of the powerful in order to be with and for the marginalized, the oppressed, the lowly, those with no power. Here in the Matthew text, as an infant, moments that babies don't even remember, Jesus is already joining with the oppressed. Jesus and his family have become the targets of persecution. So Herod is afraid that he'll lose his status. And in his fear, he creates terror in the lives of all the families in Bethlehem. Continuing on, we read, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had to flee from the enraged Herod. They had to leave the place where customs, language, and food were familiar and head into Egypt where they wouldn't know anyone, they wouldn't have social connections, they would have to start completely over. I can't begin to imagine what it'd be like to wake up in that state of fear, a constant living, growing fear of the state, a fear for the survival of your baby. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to travel to Nicaragua with a group of students and pastors with the chaplain's office. We spent time learning about the cultural and political religious and economic histories of the land and the people. And we shared in worship and fellowship with church communities. And during a homestay in the capital city of Managua, the chaplain and I were sitting with our host family after dinner one night. Our host mom told us the story of how she was involved in what were considered guerrilla actions against the violence and terror of her government. One night, she went out after dark to help carry a civilian about 20 kilometers outside the city to a safe town. All the while, gunfire was screaming out and officials were known to be kidnapping and disappearing people they thought to be threats. Her story was one where an immense terror sat alongside an even greater hope for a day when Nicaragua would be safe 
where she would be free to live. And it reminds me of this season where we hold darkness and light, fear and hope together. Mary and Joseph went from celebrating this wonderful new addition to their lives to panicking about survival. They heard what the state had ordered and were in such danger that they had to flee to another country. We read in our passage that God said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under. And even after Herod's death, the fear still followed. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth. They first had to flee from the birthplace of Jesus to Egypt. And by scholars' estimates, two years later, tried to return to Bethlehem, only to be redirected to another town because it was still unsafe for them. This is a massive disruption in their lives, only compounded by the fact that they're new parents. There's an image that made its rounds on my social media this season, and you might have seen it too. The picture was of a nativity scene like we might see in our homes, with Mary and Joseph standing over a baby Jesus. In this nativity, however, found at the United Methodist Church in Claremont, California, the persons of the family, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, are all in separate cages similar to those found at our border with Mexico. I find this image hard to look at. It stirs in me discomfort, sadness, anger, and so many questions. And that's exactly what it's meant to do. By reframing the nativity, we begin to talk about the Holy Family in a way that I hadn't heard before. In my experience, when I've heard this passage in Matthew, it's been easy for communities to feel compassion for the plight facing the family of our newly born Lord. And yet sometimes, when we see a parallel drawn between their plight in Scripture and the present reality of the plight facing families in similar situations at our border and across the globe, we feel anger rather than compassion. It's an uncomfortable challenge to the feelings that we've been experiencing this season when the image of the Holy Family's fleeing is brought alongside words like merry and jolly. We don't want to be reminded that people aren't being treated justly as we drink our eggnog. I find it to be quite a profound reminder that our Lord faced the same perils and suffered as so many families do today. It helps me to remember that we are capable of seeing Christ in every other person 
even those that we might wish to name villain. Being reminded that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fled from their home helps me to enter into the compassionate mindset necessary when thinking and talking about our current refugee crisis. In all of this, God cares so much for the world that God came into it and faced the horrors of Herod after being born. And this is what we get to continue celebrating. This horrific story is powerful to hear after the birth story because this piece shows us why it's important that God came into our world. It's wonderful to hear of the baby Jesus coming into our world in a manger, to remember he and his family sleeping with the animals on those nights. But with how often we hear that story, and in all the ways popular media has taken it and saturated it with more commercial intentions, I think hearing this part of the story helps round out our understanding of the Incarnation. There's something powerful to me to know that God first came into our world, and second, came into our world and experienced the worst of what humanity has to offer. Both this passage in Matthew and our passage from Isaiah let us know that God is concerned with the liberation of the enslaved. It might be people enslaved to people or people enslaved to systems and powers. Either way, these scriptures tell us that God is here with us. And God enters into those places with us so that we might be lifted out of those conditions. And what it comes down to is how we respond to this story. We know now and are reminded again that God came into our world to be with us both in the celebration of new life and in the horror of fleeing for the right to live. We all engage with God differently. Some, like Joseph and the wise men, hear God speaking. Others, like Isaiah, feel God's presence. Whatever the case may be, sustained by the encouragement of the Incarnation, we continue to work with God in the liberation of all peoples in the pursuit of divine justice for all of creation. Amen.